0: Um, I'd love to grab coffee. I'd love to hear your story um, and get to know you. Same thing with Graham and Caroline, uh, those that are on staff with us. And so please come up and introduce yourself. But if you hang around RUF long enough, uh, you will learn that we make a pretty big deal out of God's Word. Uh, There's a reason why we do what we do on Wednesday night. Uh, We believe something happens when we open up this book. And the Holy Spirit takes God's Word and applies it to our hearts. Um, We believe that that's what we most need. Uh, We need the Gospel. We need Jesus. uh, We need Him to show up through the power of His Word and change us. Uh, And because of that, we just simply march straight through books of the Bible uh, normally. We'll do a couple of topical things uh, from time to time. But last semester we did the book of Revelation, this semester we're doing the book of Judges, and we come tonight to the last kind of section in the book of Judges, so we're drawing to a close in our study, and we're looking at the last judge, Samson. And what's interesting is what we're learning about Samson, it's way different than the view of Samson that you might have had growing up, if you grew up around the church. Samson is actually the worst of all of the Judges. If you were here last week we kind of started looking at that he actually uh, takes up he gets the most ink he's the worst but he gets the most ink out of all the other judges he gets four chapters in the book and so because of that we're taking a couple of weeks and looking at Samson and so we're going to continue looking at his life tonight in chapter 16. So before we dig in and look at that let me pray and let's ask God to come and work uh, through the word And Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, we do ask that you would come. You tell us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And we need you to take this word and apply it to our hearts. Uh, Father, lots of us, because of our context, um, we're bored um, with Christianity. We're bored with our faith. Uh, We're sleepy. We're apathetic. Um, Our hearts uh, are cold. Um, But on the other hand, some of us have never felt more alive spiritually. And so, Lord, I pray that wherever we are tonight, uh, you would convince us that what we need most is to hear from you uh, through this passage that you have for us in Judges chapter 16. And so would you come and, in a sense, mow us down Uh, with the word and through your spirit and teach us and give us hope and encourage us, train us, convict us, challenge us. Uh, Father, we pray that we wouldn't leave here the same. Um, May your word be that powerful tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's an old poem. uh, Several years ago, uh, it was written. And it's by a man by the name of Wilbur Reese. And the title of the poem is $3 Worth of God, Please. You might have heard this uh, poem at some point. Here are a few lines. I won't read it all. I would like $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want the warmth of the tomb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Can you relate to that as you sit here tonight? Because, boy, I sure can. Because oftentimes... That's what I want. I want not, not everything. I want $3 worth of God. In other words, I don't want God to make me have to sacrifice. I don't want God to come and to mess with my comfort or call me to give something up. If you're like me, oftentimes, I simply want $3 worth of God, please. Please. Well, that's exactly what samson wanted to samson wanted god but just enough of god in order to keep his strength and as we're going to learn in judges chapter 16 samson gets a whole lot more than three dollars worth of god And if you've been coming this semester, you know that one of the things that we've been learning through the book of Judges is it kind of acts as a window for us and shows us who God is and what he's like and shows us about his character. That's what we're going to see tonight in Judges 16. In this story, the story of Samson, we actually get to get an inside, behind-the-scenes look at what God is like. And two of the things that we're going to see tonight in this passage, if you have an outline printed before you, you can um, follow along if you're a note taker. But the two points, we're going to see that God abandons the self-reliant. And secondly, we're going to see that God actually runs to and responds to those that are desperate. So let's look at number one, God abandons the self-reliant. Uh, many people, uh, maybe, if they're familiar at all with the story of Samson, uh, they're familiar with uh, obviously his strength, a lot of times his hair, but also the story of um, Samson and Delilah. Uh, Samson falls in love. We see that in this passage with Delilah, and it didn't if you were reading closely, I mean, he's pretty obsessed. You want to talk about relationship idolatry, this is it at its finest. He is so taken with her that he's willing to do anything. In fact, he lets Delilah walk all over him. And because he is scared to death to lose her, he lets her in on his secret. Look at verse 17. He finally caves, doesn't he? And he tells her the secret to his strength. And he says, the strength is in my hair which has never been cut since my birth. He thinks that If he gets a haircut, he is going to lose all of his strength. He thinks that somehow his hair is magical. But you and I know, particularly if you've been here, if you were here last week, and if you look at all of those four chapters, which we don't have time to cover them all, we know that the secret is not in his hair, is it? But we know that the secret to his strength is God. That God is the one that's actually given Samson his strength. It's not his hair. And if you look at verse 20, what's interesting, it seems as if Samson doesn't really believe that either. That the strength is in his hair. Or at least on the surface, it doesn't appear that way. Samson falls asleep. Delilah comes, shaves his head. And when Samson wakes up, he knows that his hair has been cut. And notice what he says in verse 20, which I think is very revealing in the narrative. Verse 20, after his hair's been cut, he says, No problem. i got this. I'm invincible. In other words, I don't need my hair because I'm going to go and shake myself free just like I've always done. It doesn't matter whether or not I've had a haircut. I'm invincible. Verse 20. Again, we also learn something else. And can I be honest? This might be the most frightening verse in all of Scripture for me. The Lord leaves Samson. And he doesn't even know it. The Lord withdraws from him. God, who has been so patient with Samson, now Samson suddenly thinks he's invincible and says, God, get out of my life. I've got this. I don't need you. And God suddenly pulls away. In other words, God finally lets Samson have what Samson has wanted all along. Independence. Freedom. Autonomy. And God basically looks at him and says, you want life apart from me? You want freedom? You want to be autonomous? You want to do your own thing? You got it. Have at it. Then look at what happens in Samson's life after he gets exactly what he's always wanted. Verse 21. The Philistines capture Samson. His power is now gone. He has no ability to fight them. And look at what they do to him. They carve out his eyeballs. They chain him up like an animal and force him into manual slave labor. Samson, the guy who was on top of his game, who was unstoppable, now suddenly has been laid low, painfully low. The one who could... and had lived by his own sight is now blinded. And if you look at verses 22, or I'm sorry, 23 and 25, it actually gets a little worse. Look at those verses. They actually put him and make him a public spectacle. He is their entertainment. And really what's going on here is they are mocking and laughing at Samson and toying with him. And so here's the picture that we see of this mighty, strong, good-looking, long-haired Samson that we often think of him, the ways that we think of him. The picture is this, Samson is blind, Samson's a prisoner and a slave, and they're mocking him and toying with him. And... And so then the question becomes, okay, so what do we take away from this? What's the so what of this passage? Friends, here's what I want us to see in this passage and one of the applications that I want us to take away. God is merciful. And God is being good to you. When He doesn't give you the desires of your sinful heart that you so desperately want. God is actually being good to you and in His kindness restraining you from giving you what your idolatrous, sinful heart really wants. Because God knows that if you get what you want, you will make a mess of your life. You will wreck your life And you will end up becoming a slave and destroying yourself. You see, one of the things we see in the Bible is the worst thing God can do to you is to let you have what it is you really want oftentimes deep down in your heart. And so here's what I want you to think about. Maybe one of the reasons that you're in a spiritual funk, that you feel distant from God, or maybe a reason that you feel disconnected or bored, could it be it's because you have not resisted your idols? Could it be that over and over and over again you have given in to the idols in your heart? And God is slowly but surely giving you what your sinful heart most wants. And now because you have it, what it is you want. Now suddenly you're spiritually disoriented. And if you're not spiritually disoriented, maybe you're bored altogether with the faith or bored out of your mind with God. He doesn't energize you. His Word does not excite you anymore. You've grown cold and apathetic towards Him, and you find yourself drifting further and further and further away from Him. You see, I think one of the scariest realities in the Bible that we learn about God is that sometimes He is willing to give you what you want You know, another application is I think as we wrestle with this is it should change the way we pray in what we ask God to do in our life. Because sometimes the worst thing God can do is give you what it is that you really want. You see, God abandons the self-reliant. That's the first point. But it sets up a huge problem for us, doesn't it? And here's the problem. Samson is the judge. He's the deliverer. That word doesn't mean like a legal judge. It means a deliverer. And so he's the one that God has called and said, you are to deliver my people. And he's not in a very good place to deliver God's people at the moment, is he? Because he's bound up in chains. He's being tortured and humiliated. He's been completely rendered useless and worthless and he's in utter despair and desperation and I want to suggest that now he is exactly where God wants him because now God can finally work and that leads us to the second point God responds to desperation look at verse 28 Very interesting, but in those four chapters that we see in Samson, he only prays and calls out to God twice. This is one of them, and notice in verse 28, he actually addresses God by his personal covenant name, Yahweh, which he's never done before. And he asks God for two things here. Look at it. He says, God, first of all, would you remember me? Okay, think about that. Mighty Samson, arrogant, prideful, suddenly understands that he's forgettable. Suddenly realizes that God has every right to ignore him and he says, God, have mercy on me. Remember me. Secondly, He asked for strength. It's a little ironic, isn't it? Considering his life. He finally realizes that he's helpless. He finally realizes that he needs to be dependent upon God. He is weak. He is desperate. And now that he is weak and now that he is blind, he can finally see. And what we see here in Judges chapter 16 is that in this section, we see Samson demonstrating true faith. So much so, think about this, so much so that did you know that Samson is actually listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith? Look it up. You will find Samson's name there. Think about it. The worst out of all of the judges is commended in the New Testament, for his faith. Friends, thank goodness that God is not like us. Because if that were us, our time, oftentimes our mentality is you got yourself into this mess, you can get yourself out of this mess. Not God. No, God always, He promises to always respond to our weak cries of faith in Him. What is faith? Here's here's what faith means. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Faith is having nowhere else to go empty-handed and desperately grabbing on to God because you have nothing else to grab onto. That is what faith is. God hears Samson. And if you look at the narrative, he gives him one more burst of strength and one more burst of power. He's blinded and so he has to feel for the columns that are holding up the temple and he puts his arms around those columns and he pulls on them. And pushes them out and the temple falls in on itself and kills every single person including Samson. Do you see it? Israel is saved. God's people are saved from their enemies because of the death of their deliverer. Israel is saved because of the death of their deliverer and I want you to think about that and if you think that all the parallels between Samson and Jesus are strictly and merely coincidental think about it like Samson Jesus was set apart by God to deliver his people like Samson Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit Like Samson, Jesus was betrayed and turned over to his enemies by those that were closest to him. Like Samson, Jesus was put on display as entertainment and mocked and made fun of. Like Samson, Jesus was chained and bound and tortured. Samson was blind. Jesus was blindfolded. And perhaps the most important way of all, like Samson, Jesus saved his people through death. And here's why this is important for you. This is why this changes everything. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus was ultimately forsaken by God the Father so that you, if you put your trust in Him, would never be forsaken by God. Jesus was ultimately cast out so that you and I, if we put our trust in Jesus, would never be cast out. Jesus was ultimately abandoned on the cross by His Father so that if you trust in Him, you will never be abandoned by God. and some of you don't believe that because you think your life is a complete train wreck and you say there is no way that is true hang with me think about Samson you want to talk about a train wreck look at his life alcoholic sex addict murderer arrogant cocky Betrayed God over and over and over again. And God does not write him off. God returns to him. And actually moves towards him. And so think about Samson. And if God doesn't give up on Samson. Friends, there is nothing you can do. That's going to make God give up on you. You are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And so, what do you do? Samson, what did he do? He cried out in desperation and said, God, I need you. Have mercy on me. Remember me. He admitted his desperation, and guess what? God answered. God showed up. And so, what that means for us. It's that it doesn't matter whether you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, never stepped foot in a meeting like this, never stepped foot in a church, didn't grow up around Christianity, or whether you have been in Christianity for as long as you can remember and there's never been a day that you did not believe. Wherever you are, the message for this, from this passage, and the takeaway for all of us tonight is that every single one of us needs to cry out for mercy. And admit our weakness and cry out in desperation and say, God, I need you. And God promises to answer because of Jesus. God promises to respond in grace to the worst of sinners. Y'all probably remember this. Um, 2010, it was the fall. And it really captivated the entire world. I remember being glued to my TV. Uh, But it was the uh, rescue of the Chilean miners. Y'all remember that? Uh, These 33 miners were 2,000 feet below solid rock. And their main tunnel that they were uh, working in suddenly collapsed. And they found themselves crying out to be rescued and they were trapped and it actually for two months they were trapped there and if you remember they didn't know what was happening but we did because we're watching it on national tv and the rescuers are working around the clock and one of the things they did was they developed this large 13 foot capsule and they drilled two holes. They had one hole that they were communicating with them and sending messages and food and all sorts of things to the miners. And then there was another hole that they were going to dig and use to actually bring them out and um, bring them out from underneath the earth. And what's interesting is they didn't know this was going to work. There were no guarantees. But then on October the 13th, 2010, these men stopped start popping up out of the mine, and they're slapping high fives, they're leading victory chants, they're on top of the world, they're talking to all of their family, and and you start to realize all the different stories and all the different uh, people that were down there. You see a grandfather, a 44-year-old who was planning his wedding, a 19-year-old son, all different stories, but all had one thing in common, they all had been rescued, And one of the things you started to learn as these men were interviewed is that not a one of them, as they were trapped in that mine, said, we can get out of here on our own. Give me a new drill, we will get out. No, they sat looking at, a, in a sense, a stone tomb. And in unison, it was a unanimous opinion, we need help. And unless someone comes down and penetrates this world and pulls us out, we have no hope. And my question is, is that how you view your story? Do you view your story as desperately in need of rescue as those minors? If you need mercy, ask for it. The title of the sermon is "What moves the Heart of God?" Friends, pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency does not move God. What moves the heart of God and calls, causes him to start running is helplessness, desperation, Crying out to God. Have mercy on me. Remember me. And you see, the beauty of the gospel is that God promises that he will give it if you ask. And so will you ask for mercy? That's an invitation. Let's pray.